Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to the Everything Hoops podcast. I'm Lance Caparossi. I'm with Vlad Moldovanu. Vanu. <laughs> Vlad Moldovanu. Wow, that is a hard name to pronounce. My bad if I butchered it, Vlad. But anyways, thank you guys for listening. All you got to do is hit subscribe, tell a basketball fan, leave a comment, rate us. You can find us on any platform. We stream everywhere. But Vlad, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm glad to have you on. Thank you very much. And don't worry, you're not the first one that butchered my name, so it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) It used to happen to me a lot when I was in elementary school. So, like, even though I mess up, I have no ill feelings. I'm not not upset about it. I'm I'm used to it, man. I came over when I was – I came over to the U.S. when I was 16. So, trust me, I've heard my name from – Vlad, Vlad, to my last name is uh, okay. It's, it's a whole different ball game, so it's all good, man. Okay, let's get into that though, because you are from Romania. You were over there. You were playing basketball over there. I believe you played for what was it like the under fourteen teams, and then you came over to play high school basketball. Or how did that happen? Like, how did you come over to the states in the first place? Uh, well, I played uh, started playing basketball when I was seven. Um, I played for all Romanian national teams. Uh, from 12 years old up until the seniors uh, where I recently retired from. Um, But yeah, I was about uh, 15 and a half when they first saw me. Um, I went to Basketball Without Borders uh, at 15, which is led by the NBA. It's in Treviso, Italy. I started getting a bunch of offers after that one. That was basically my my eighth grade year. Uh, Just a bunch of offers to similar to what Luka Doncic did, similar to what all these uh, younger European kids are doing right right now. Um, just go sign a pro deal. You know, they kind of groom you in 18, 19. They hope you're going to become a good pro. Um, but for some reason, my dream was coming over to the U.S. Uh, I was always attracted by that, so that was my path. And uh, that's um, really how uh, it all started. St. John's College High School, you know, they, they had foreigners, uh, they had a few Australians, they had a Romanian, uh, one of the assistant coaches, then Coach Dennis Murphy, he came over to Romania, uh, saw a few of us playing basketball, offered me a scholarship on the spot, um, so it was St. John's and DeMatha that offered me uh, both the same conference, WCAC, and then I kind of just made that choice based on that, uh, rejected the European offers I had offered from Ben on Treviso. Um, which is famous for like Tony Kukoc, Andrea Bargnani. Uh, they're famous for that. I actually ended up playing for Banton my first year as a pro, so small world. And uh, yeah, I had a few other offers from uh, Slovenia, a uh, big basketball school, and, uh, and other other European teams. 
So what was that conversation like with your family? Because I'm sure you, they probably sat you down, you guys weighed all the options. And like being able to turn pro at a young age, like that's pretty cool. But then you passed it all over for, to come over to the United States. So what was that conversation like with your family before you made that decision? They wanted me closer. So uh, that's what my mom wanted me to stay in Europe. Uh, but like I said earlier, I, would, I just wanted to come to the U.S. Just felt like this was my path. And, uh, you know, I kind of convinced her that way. What was the draw to American hoops, though, to, for you? I'm in the NBA. I feel like everybody wants to play in the NBA, right? Uh, that's that's the, any, um, right, any hooper's dream is the NBA. It's the ultimate goal. Uh, so I just felt like that was my path towards that, uh, reaching that goal. Were you surprised at how we played the game versus how you grew up playing the game? It's, it's different. Yeah, certainly different, uh, different style, um, different approach to basketball in general. Um, I think here it's more skill, individual skill development, whereas there is more like a team-oriented skill uh, level development. And on top of that, some individual skill. But, you know, it's, it's focused more on the team, team side of it, whereas uh, here it's more involved. Like, the individual is more important, usually. Were you kind of – I mean, were you excited? Like, did they open up your game at all when you first came over? Were you just like, this is who I really am. I'm not tied down to a system. I can just – you know, I can basically, like, freestyle on the basketball court. Uh, well, for me, it kind of fit um, the way I was playing in many ways. But in many ways, it kind of just uh, sent me back, right? So – this was before the evolution of the four man. Uh, it was more inside out, whereas I was more outside in. Um, so yeah, it has its pros and cons. Like looking back at it, um, you know, I think I would have had a higher ceiling if somebody would have helped me develop as a, as a three man uh, more so than as a four man. Because even though what would I would have lacked in athleticism, I think I would have gained by my basketball IQ, my technical ability. Um, and I feel like I had a kind of like a just better chance overall um, at making the NBA. It, it was just my feeling, you know, because for the NBA, I feel like a six, nine and a half is like, you know, this is a borderline. Are you tall enough? Are you athletic enough? So it's just one of those things that uh, it really just depends uh, how you see it. But for me overall, I feel like it was just kind of like a borderline. It was a thin line. Some, 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 some things were good. Some things were not as good. I gotcha. I gotcha. So one of the reasons I wanted you on this podcast, not only just to talk to you, but I also really wanted to bring up this next topic. So back in December of this year of 2020, I believe Mark Cuban was on Eurohoops.net. He was doing an interview. I forget who the writer is, but he talked about Luka Doncic and how he, when he grew up in Slovenia, which is basically like a basketball hotbed, he was taught basketball the right way. And he believes American basketball players should spend a few years overseas, like in a country like Slovenia in learning the game. Do you agree with Mark Cuban or do you like the way the system is set up now? Yes or no. I think it depends what you're grooming for. I think Luca is a special talent. Um, I don't think um, – I think it just depends how you see a hotbed, right? And how you compare it to others. Uh, to me, I think Luca, it's hard to, to describe him because from a basketball family, he grew up in, around basketball. His dad played professional basketball. Um, 
he was exposed to professional basketball at a very young age. Uh, to me, his development, uh, the key parts of his development was not in Slovenia, it was in Real Madrid. It was in Spain when, when they took him over and they just promoted him and helped him develop. And at 16, he was playing EuroLeague. He was throwing the fire, right? So which sophomore, which sophomore in high school right now can play in the NBA, basically? That's the question I'm throwing at you right now. Can Imani Bates come in tomorrow and play in the NBA? You know, he, or do you would would Mark Cuban let him play in the NBA? Let me put it that way, since Mark Cuban mentioned it. Yeah, no, it's Amani that, Bates it. is interesting. Amani Bates is interesting though, just because his game is kind of mature, and I don't really want to get too much into like draft stuff, but I kind of feel like he's much closer to his ceiling than a lot of people think, just because like. I don't know, when I watch him play, like, he knows where to pick his spots on the floor and, like, he goes to those spots. Like, kind of like a veteran basketball player. He knows what his bread and butter is. So, Amani Bates, like, he's an interesting case. I think he would struggle early on, but I think in, like, three years he'd be able to score at the end. Yeah, but what I'm saying is Mark Cuban is talking that. But would he take a 16-year-old and put him on Dallas Mavericks and give him minutes? He probably knowing that LeBron he, James. Knowing <laughs> that he will get exposed. He will get exposed. You will lose some games before that. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't do it though. So like, don't, you know, don't go around saying that when the U.S. system is the way it is. So I'm not sure. Like he, what he wants to send your U.S. players there because he wouldn't do that, right? So like, he wants Real Madrid though at the highest level in Europe, which is basically you know the Los Angeles Lakers of Europe. Send him there so he can play minutes at 16, 17, an American kid. So why so, don't you put him? You know, like why don't you put him in the NBA? Why don't you find a farm system for the NBA like that? where you can plug in your 17-year-old kid and play minutes in the NBA against grown-ups. Because that's how this guy's developed. It's, it's not like it was, you know, it was a risk that Real Madrid takes Usman Garuba, same way. This year, he's going to be a top 15 pick. I love him. He's like a, a – Clint Capella is like a poor man's version of Usman Garuba, in my opinion. So you have that. But these kids were thrown in the fire at the highest level at 15 or 16. So, you know, yes, I give them credit for that, the European teams, but at the same time, the U.S. system is the way it is, and it's kind of forcing kids uh, to certain paths. That's why I'm very interested to see overtime late. I think Mark Cuban, he is kind of one of – he's one of the owners that is pushing to have, like, a similar farm system in the United States. Like, if we find these – I call them prodigies. Like, if you're that good at basketball, it's like a, you're like a prodigy of a piano player. You're just – there's something special about you from an yep. early age. And he is – he if he's kind of making the push where, like, yeah, these professional teams will do it like we do over in Europe. I personally don't like that idea. I love the American way and the way it's played and the way the system is because I, I love the draft. I don't want to see guys coming up in, like, some farm system. So I kind of disagree with him. I think the exposure is unique because there's definitely a difference – between European basketball or overseas basketball versus American basketball. It's more team oriented. It's more, you know, everybody touches the ball kind of thing. And I feel like over in the United States, we get some of the best one-on-one players you can watch, you know? Absolutely. It's more hearable. It's more hearable oriented. And I think, um, you know, I think that's absolutely fine. I don't see, you know, I don't see any problems with that, honestly. Um, Then, Really, I think Mark Cuban is, is like is a, is a thin line because he's had things work for him with international players. But at the same time, he hasn't had an international roster. 
Like, he hasn't had eight guys from overseas coming to play for Mavericks. You know, like, he's had some of his cornerstone of the franchise being European or international. But, you know, he wasn't really – so that's what I'm saying. It's like he wants to send kids from over, over here, over there. You know, for what? When it could be taught the same way here, it's just a choice, right? It's just a choice that each coach makes every day to kind of just hand the reins to their best player. Exactly. It's just the American way. So it's not really the system that's wrong, in my opinion. It's the actual getting to coaches and make them understand that winning today at 14 doesn't help all the players in that team. You know, so I think that's what it, it is promoting team culture, promoting team wins. But again, we live in a highlight culture, right? So that's why I'm very interested to see the overtime elite project and how that develops where these kids are pros at, you know, 10th, 11th grade. Okay. That's interesting. Do you think a team of European players could come over and win in the NBA? Like an eight man rotation, like you were saying? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think they're the athleticism is not there. It depends on the rules too, because we've seen Team USA struggle at times in, in uh, uh, especially like last World Cup, right? We'll look at it, it's, it's tough. So um, I think it depends on the rules of the game because to me it's, it's comparing like, uh, you know, apples and oranges, right? Like you compare the NBA to EuroLeague, well, this and that, I'm like, it's two different sports. Yeah, I mean, we're in the pros. Let me compare field hockey with ice hockey. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not the same thing, but it's not really the same thing. Like, that's why I keep trying to tell people. I'm like, the rules are different. Like, yeah. And they're so different in, in certain aspects of the tactical side of it, right? Like, the defensive three seconds. That's one thing. The goaltending, can he take the ball off the rim or not? The, the court is not the same. It's not the same length and width. So, like, literally, what are we talking about? Like, it's two different sports. Yeah. Even, even Lucas said it. It's easier to score in the U.S. because you have more space. Yeah. So one is built for entertainment and one is slowly trying to build for entertainment, but they're also trying to keep the basketball tradition in it. So to me, that's what we're, we're, we're really like. I, I see the NBA putting a four point shot at some point. I don't want to see that though. I, it's going to happen. I hate though. That. It's, yeah, it's, but I, I hate that. I hate that. But there's nothing you can do about it because it's always been developed. Like the NBA has been the development of basketball in that sense, in that entertainment sense. And in the same time, it's it is entertainment, right? So I know like we're, everybody's more traditional basketball inclined, but it's the NBA. They make money. It's it's, yeah. it's how you make money. It's, it's a global icon of business, if you ask me, right? It's the top of the line. Yeah, me and my uh, brother were talking about. I think it, it was the Dallas series against the Clippers early, and we're looking at Luca. And he's like making these faces, but the camera's right on him. My brother's like, "Do you think he knows the camera's on him?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, every camera is pointed to him." But he's like, "Yeah, but the faces." I'm like, "Well, it's an entertainment league. Like they wanna, they want to, like these guys. Are, they're not just basketball players. They're I don't think Luca knows. You're like when you're hitting the moment as a player, you don't think about the face you make. You know." You don't think about that. Yeah. So it's, I don't think it does. Uh, but yeah, the NBA, it's, I mean, even the, the, the latest, if you watch, if you watch the NBA this year closely, that's the fine tunes of the cameras, right? So like they have that 4K or what is it, 8K camera. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like only in Europe, for example, only the uh, Champions League soccer, they have it because they're so expensive and they have like one of those. The NBA has like five or six of those. And I, from my understanding, one of those, like what, 80K, one camera like that. So like 
just the money that's in the NBA, it's entertainment. Like they got to get the money back somehow, some way. So it's normal that they want more points. They want a more up and down game. Uh, you know, they want less defense because yeah, as, as, as many basketball junkies are out there like us that we want to see like a, like, like a game last night, right. We, we're recording this uh, right after the, the Nets uh, Bucks series um, closer. And that was great basketball. I guess. It was physical. It was defense basketball is, it was just a grind. It was beautiful to watch in some ways. But if I'm taking like one, two million of people that have watched the regular season of the NBA, they're like, well, I don't want to watch that. What is it? Like, you know, so I understand the, this, this uh, you know, fight between the basketball, I don't say gurus, and the actual fan watching for entertainment. Yeah, but I think if there was a blend of the way um, basketball is played overseas with the highlights of the NBA, like, you know, the hero ball, like there's a blend, there, there's, there, there can be a blend of it. And I oh, think I it would still make for great basketball. Like, well, I mean, the, the Spurs did it. Uh, I think the Jazz did this year. Uh, there's teams that do it. There's teams that do it that are fun to watch. It's. It was the, the Miami Heat last year. I know people hate them for the bubble yep. and everything, but the way everybody touched the ball, everybody was cutting. That to me is when basketball is at its best. When it's not just, that's why I was, you know, I love when people say 90s is the golden age of the NBA. But really, if you go back and watch that, it's kind of boring, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I mean, I can watch mm-hmm. it and I'm entertained by it, but it's give the guy at the top of the key, you know, 18 seconds or back down for 90 feet like Mark Jackson used to do. And it's just, I'm so glad basketball's moving in the direction that it is. But I do want to, like, get on a little bit more with, who you are though. Like I love talking basketball, but so let's, let's go, let's go back. You're in America, you're playing high school. How many offers did you get? What was the recruiting process like? And why did you decide to go to George Mason after well, high I had roughly 20 offers? I think, uh, mid major, some, uh, high major. It was a uh, W Smith at Kentucky. Um, that was probably the biggest school. Um, they recruited me, and um, I was – actually, the story is pretty short. I, I kind of closed on my recruitment as soon as West Virginia started recruiting me or his beeline there. I love beeline. He came from Romania to watch me play in the summer to, to watch me play for my national team. I had a great relationship with, with John Beeline, and he uh, he wanted me at West Virginia. I fit that system. He wanted me as that uh, – he runs a Princeton offense where he had Kevin Pitsnago, for those that remember, but for the Celtics for a quick one, two years. But uh, overall, a good player. And he kind of wanted me. It was interesting because Tubby Smith was recruiting me at Kentucky as a three-man, like a J.P. Prince type uh, player. And then uh, J.P. Prince, sorry, Tayshaun Prince. I was thinking about J.P. I played against him in high school. Uh, <laughs> um, so he, he saw me as like a Tayshaun Prince and then um, – Beeline was recruiting more like a five man, like a top of the key five man that can make passes, can make threes. Um, you know, it, it, that offense that Georgetown uh, ran with Coach Thompson, that Beeline runs at Princeton offense, right? So I was sold on it. I wanted to go there. He had only one scholarship. And right when I was about to commit, that was my junior year in November, uh, on my official visit there, uh, I was in his house and he was like, I'm, I want to come here. And he's like, well, it's, we have an issue. Um, apparently the governor and the president of West Virginia University, they're like, they wouldn't let him use that scholarship until Patrick Patterson committed, uh, Patrick Patterson being an in-state kid. And uh, I feel like this is why, or this is where I could have used the mentor, I could have used some advising and just be like, okay, leave your ego at the door 
Patrick is not coming here. This is your scholarship. You can take it later, just not now. But I guess I feel that I feel that rejected feeling. Like, well, why, you know, like, I don't get it. Like, you say you want me. Um, and in all honesty, looking back at it, I'm sure Beeline would have taken me over back for Patrick Patterson because he knew there was no chance he's getting uh, Patrick, right? So, um, yeah, and I kind of, yeah, it's my ego wouldn't let me wait, basically. So I was like, okay, and that's just me being a kid. And I, I guess, you know, that's also me not having a family behind that went to this process, right? So I feel like my kids now that I went to this process, it's going to be easier for me to actually tell them like, hey, this is the situation. Like it's, it's going to be their decision, but at the end of the day, it's, it's good to have somebody that knows the process, right? And I didn't know the process. I was like, and I forget about it. And um, yeah, what happened then, I couldn't commit to West Virginia. It was though like that was my dream school. Um, so I was left out with a few options. George Mason was like number one on that one. Um, I was thinking about Pittsburgh. Um, it, it just, it was all over the place for me for some reason. Some, some people believed I was like a high level player. So I was like, okay. Uh, but at the moment when I signed with George Mason, I was the highest recruit they ever had. Um, they were kind of close to DC, right? 45 minutes outside Washington DC where I went to high school. So it was, you know, it, it was kind of the school that recruited me the most too, because they were in the area. And uh, that's how I ended up at George Mason, even though like some of the schools were recruiting me in the area and like, you know, uh, out West, you know, um, like Stanford uh, was recruiting me, Gonzaga showed interest, but then um, I didn't show interest back. So they kind of lost it fast and I didn't know who Gonzaga was, but again, I didn't know who, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I didn't know who Gonzaga was really at that point, just coming over from Europe. Man, it would okay. So, like West Virginia at that time with Beeline, they were one of my favorite schools to watch. Kevin Pitts, Noggle. There was I'm trying to think of who the point guard was. I think it was Dominic James or something, and he was a lot of fun to watch. I think I might be he might be wrong. Yeah, they have Pat. Like, uh, they have Pat, the the the, the German um, uh, Herber, I think was his name. Okay, and then Shooter, yeah, Pitts, Noggle, Joe Alexander. Yep, Joe Alexander. Uh, uh, that, he was a great player. He was yeah. a great athlete, actually. But then oh Pittsburgh. My. Oh, oh, on my visit, I swear to God, <laughs> on my visit at West Virginia, I've seen the nastiest dunks I could have seen. <laughs> we were scrimmaging. I get a rebound. I let the ball gets to Joe on a fast break. And uh, one of the big fellas, the five-man, Zach Gonzaga in, uh, in D.C. high school. I knew him, uh, Green. Man, he comes over to help, and Joe just takes one drill from a three-point line. I swear to God, like, like his belly button would over Gene, like Green's head, and it was just, oh my God! I was like, oh, this is college right here. This is this, this is college. This is not high school anymore. Now that was my official visit. I was Virginia. I was like, oh my God, Joe, what is that? But it was, uh, it was, it was cool. Were you just thinking of the possibilities of playing with that type of athlete? Like, man, I'm a good passer. Like, I can. That was the thing for for, for me. It wasn't like oh, I can't do that, what he does. For me, it was like, oh, man, I just throw back doors, right? I'm, I'm dribbling at on the wing. He cuts back door. I can throw a lob or the bounce pass. If not, I go into a handoff, pick and pop. I was like, oh, man. this. The, the, but that's why I fell in love with West Virginia. And I fell in love with West Virginia, honestly, just from Beeline recruiting me even before my visit. Like, for me, it wasn't the campus. It wasn't – I know a lot of kids care about that. To me, it was just that relationship with the coach and that system. Like, how do I fit in your system? You know, how are you as a person? And then we go from there. 
not as what kind of weight room you have, what kind of uh, gym you have. And that's why when I transferred, I went to American. It wasn't about, you know, like the other offers, the facilities or whatever it was. Why did, how come it didn't, I was reading a little bit about you at George Mason, like, cause you were, they were just two years removed from going to the final four. I believe at that time they were, they just beat UConn and you were coming in, but you were one of the highest rated European prospects in high school at the time, I believe and you came into George Mason, but why didn't it work? Like why you chose them, the fit probably you thought at the time worked, but what happened? Honestly, I, the fit never worked in honesty. Um, and I think just, uh, it was, I don't blame anybody. I think it's my fault, uh, because I made that decision. I just felt like, um, I could bring a new, just more offensive weapons and just my talent to George Mason. Whereas coach, I feel like his view on a power forward position was very different. And it wasn't about my skill level. It wasn't by like anything else. I just, I just think the fit was not good. Um, so that was, uh, you know, that was it. That was just a fit that didn't work uh, with me and Mason. And I just saw that, I saw that happening. And it wasn't that I didn't want to push through. It was just that I just felt like I'm, I'm ruining my chance as a pro because that was my thing. Like I'm in college to get better to play pro. And it wasn't, I'm in college to get my degree. <laughs> yeah, know, I so. feel you. I feel you. So it was, it was different. So did you ever think about contacting like John Beeline as soon as you were going to, as soon as you knew you were going to transfer? Oh, like, I tried. He was in Michigan. Yeah, that would have been a perfect fit. Because uh, <laughs> that's how life takes you, right? So, <laughs> but uh, I tried to, I guess uh, there was no response there. Um, so when I transferred, it was actually, it was um, Lehigh offered me and they had C.J. McCollum. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah, CJ was a freshman, right, when I transferred. So that, that would be interesting. Uh, um, then it was American, of course, that showed interest. And uh, NC State offered me. Uh, the only issue I had at NC State was they wanted me to register the following year. So I was like, I got to sit out a year and a half. I was already a year older uh, in high school. So as a pro, I was like, I don't want to turn pro at 24, you know, 24 and three months. I'm like, that's just late. Um, that was the only issue because the SC State would have been a nice, uh, especially since they had J.J. Hickson at the five and they had Brendan Costner who was graduating at the four. So my fit as a stretch four would have been really, uh, really good. And of course, the level was, was much higher in American. Um, but then I just chose to stay in D.C., stay in my, you know, is my second home, kind of grew up there. And American made sense from, from, uh, from a lot of standpoints as far as uh, me growing as a leader me developing as a player, putting that, that pressure on my shoulders. Okay, you got to get better because this team is, needs you to produce. You're not going to just coast by. You're not going to be a second option. So, you know, it was kind of get my butt in gear. And that's helped me a lot because that year I was just on the grind. And I was, okay, this is it. Like 7 o'clock, we're going to go get shots up in the morning, even though I might have went out the night before up until 2.30 in the morning. So, hey, it is what it is. But yeah. – it's you know it's the college life right so like i'm not afraid to say it you know and but i was clockwork right so like the morning i had to get shots up then i had team practice then i had individual work or like weights like i was in that mode the whole year whereas okay i'm not playing but by next you know by next next december i gotta be ready to step in and just kind of lead this team uh because he was a young team at that point 
Yeah, so you know you're on like a short list with Kemba Walker, Steph Curry, Jimmer Fredette, Adam Morrison, Kevin Durant, Michael Beasley, four highest percentage of shots taken on the team during one season. Like you're oh, on the man, I need, to, I need to see that. <laughs> I'll have to find it again and send it to you. But I think it was like a Bleacher Report article way back. But it was like players that took, I think it was like 35 or more percent of the team's shots. Like, so the article said like Vlad has – he, he brings the offense of two players to the team. I believe that's what the article <laughs> said. But they, they didn't call you like a chucker or anything like that. They said, the crazy thing is he plays within the team's offense, but this is the way the team goes. They go as far as he goes. So that's kind of a cool honor to have in an incredible <laughs> that, that way. That is a cool <laughs> honor. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciated what, what JJ did for me. Coach Jones, you know, he's now at uh, ODU, Jeff Jones. And um, he found, you know, the best way to use me, I think, in my whole career. Uh, if you ask me, he had options for me to to play pick and pop. He had options for me to come off off ball screens like a two guard. He had options for me to post up. Um, you know, so he he's he got the most out of my game. That's for sure. And uh, you know, this is the number show, right? I mean, I averaged what eighteen my 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 junior year, twenty my second. I scored over a thousand points in a year and a half. Like yeah. I didn't have two full years. So he got the most out of me uh that's for sure because like you said earlier like it wasn't a checking thing like I was shooting 15 16 shots and I was shooting good percentages so that's I give a lot of credit to to JJ and the way he thought of me as a player in that scheme and how he used me um because I'm sure if that team wasn't so well coached uh it could end up me being, you know, 20 shots a game and, you know, you go six for 20 every game. And, oh, yeah, you're the leading scorer. And I'm like, to me, that's to me doesn't doesn't do it any good, um, you know, for the team purposes and the team goals. So even though we can – it's probably safe to say the recruiting didn't go the way you wanted to, but it all worked out in the end. You would say that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it worked out great. I think, uh, you know, I think everything in life usually just works out the way it's supposed to be, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like I said, to me, West Virginia was my ideal, my dream school because of Coach Beeline. It wasn't because of the school, like I said. So it was because of that system, because he wanted to, the way he wanted to use me, because who he is as a person. I think he's really one of the, the best people uh, I met as a coach, and he hasn't even coached me. Uh, but I would vouch for him. You know, I'd throw my hand in the fire just because the way he was with me those two years. He was always honest, uh, and he called it how it is. You know, he told me when I need to get stronger. He told me when my weak spots were, you know. So it's, it's I, I always appreciate that, I think, as a player. So you had a good junior year, a good senior year. Your goal was to make it to the NBA. You trekked across the ocean to come over here to do it. What was, like, how close were you to making it to the NBA? Were, were there any teams talking to you? Or, like, what was that process like? Honestly, I think I would just lock out away. Um, I was going to play my way in the NBA, if you ask me. Um, because so after junior year, I went on train with Tim Grover for about two weeks in Chicago. Tim gave me a good feedback. He saw, he's like, I, I think you can be a guy that gets drafted the second round between 40 and 50. Um, if you come out of your junior year, because there's more unknowns. And I just felt like I owed to JJ and American University to come back and not just play six months and go. Um, so I came back from my senior year and I had a very good senior year. We lost in the semifinals of conference on a buzzer beater from half court. Uh, that was gut-wrenching uh, because I really thought we had a good team to win a championship. Um, 
but I had good games against all big schools. Uh, and I just feel like I was like, Pitt was number one, I think that year. And I had like 20 plus on like 50 plus percent shooting. And they threw at me guys that like really could defend. Uh, so I was confident that I'm ready for, for that step, but I knew that I'm not athletic enough. Like that was one thing that it was just one of those things that, you know, you know, you're not athletic enough and your tests show it basically. So when we got to PIT, like I shot the ball well, you know, at, at Portsmouth, Jimmy Butler was on my team. We won the, the Portsmouth Invitational. I think I have like 12 points per game over, I, I think I shot over 50% for three, right? NBA range, over five rebounds. So like it was solid, right? Like it wasn't like these guys, I can't hold my own or something. Uh, then I had a few interviews, draft workouts, had an interview with Larry Bird of the Pacers. Um, then I had, I went to Milwaukee for a workout, uh, you know, Washington and New York for actual workouts. And I had a few other interviews uh, over the phone and uh, I didn't get drafted. Um, and then I got a call from Phoenix that same night asking me to go to camp with them uh, in July and sign like a three year non-guaranteed deal. Um, and I was like, that's fine. Uh, you know, it wasn't about guaranteed deal. I was like, I'm just gonna play my way. Like I knew that I could sign a three year non-guaranteed and I can get cut right summer league. Um, but that was it. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was packing my fat, my bags to go to Phoenix, get a call June 30th. I think it was, I was like, all right, lockout, no more starting tomorrow, July 1st, nothing happens to the NBA teams and players and agents and nothing happens. So look at the European market. <laughs> so that's when I kind of turned my eye to the European market and it was tough. Like once I started making money, um, good money to be like okay like let me make it the g league and make 25k one year yeah when you know no like that it, it was just hard it's hard because you know you want to have a family you want to have a future you you want to put some money aside and you know one year like that sure you, you can go well you can make the nba you can get a 10-day contract or god knows you get hurt you have a bad g league year you go back overseas and you're gonna make 40k for the whole year you know so why risk it when I have a good market overseas? It, it was just hard for me at that point. But if the lockout didn't happen, for sure, I was going to go for it. You know, I was going to do even the G League that year if I needed to, if Phoenix would have sent me or whatever it was. But, you know, I was ready to go mini camp with them, then summer league, and then sign that DLC, see how that would have played, you know, G League or cut me or whatever it was. But I think, I just think my shooting would have played, my shooting, my basketball IQ would have played my way into a role, whether that was 12 men or the Jared Dudley right now in the Lakers, whatever that was, I think I would have made NBA roster if I had a chance to show in the summer league and possibly at a training camp, you know? Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I don't think a lot of people realize how tough that is too, because as a pro athlete, you only have so many years really to make the money, you know, and I know that's not what it's all about, but when you've invested as much time as you have, it kind of becomes about making the money and you got to follow the money. And if it's working, just try to make as much as you possibly can. Oh, it was tough because my rookie year got a really good contract to compare to other rookies, I think. Uh, it was, you know, it was really solid. And I mean, just the thing that, the team that I was on, if you think about it, right, Etuan Moore came, he was drafted first round by the Celtics that year. Brian Scalabrini, you know, we had Donatas Montiunas, um, you know, who played in the league for quite a few years. We had Gal Mikkel, a point guard, who was with the Dallas Mavericks. So, like, it's not I went to a rookie situation overseas. Like, I got thrown in the fire at the top level in Europe, right? A team that was fighting in the Euro Cup, a team that was playing, um, you know, I mean, just that year alone as a rookie, 
you know, I was playing a guys that got drafted, the guys that got played in the league. Um, you know, it wasn't like your r- typical rookie year, I would say. You know, I think uh, that's also what made a difference for me. Um, you know, just Patrick Beverly uh, caught his last year in Europe. He was in St. Petersburg, Russia. So it was, it was, it was one of those situations that was tough to say. You know, to come back for it's like, oh, let me play G League now, and you know. <laughs> Yeah, especially after you've already competed with all those guys that I believe all played like five or more years in the NBA. So yeah, for sure. to... I was working daily with Brian and, and you know, uh, we're still keeping touch. And he was one of those things that he said, like, you know, you could play in the NBA. He's, he's, he he told me that before. Like, you could play in the NBA. You know, that like you, you have the talent. Yes, the physical stuff. So, I mean, to me, I always thought, unfortunately, it was – uh, more physical than, than skill-wise uh, for me as far as not making the league. Um, but I don't regret it. I think I just have to take accountability for it. And, yeah, I should have probably started lifting early. I should have probably invested more time in, in the weight room and now in the basketball court. But I was, I was an animal basketball junkie, so it's hard. You know, like I would much rather be on the basketball floor for six hours than being there for four and two hours in the weight room. So it, it's just one of those things that maybe, you know, if I grew up differently, uh, but it was, you know, I grew up in the thing that's like, oh, don't start lifting at 14. You're not going to grow anymore and all this stuff. So, you know, the all European ways. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's like the beeline way too. Like he doesn't want you lifting weights. He wants you to keep that, sh- that same shooting motion. Like well, he doesn't want you to know. I'm telling you, but like I didn't lift weights until I got to the U.S. when I was 16. Jeez, that's crazy. At all, at all. Like just push-ups, like that's it. That's all we did. Like it was – there was a running back though. He made it in his entire career just doing a thousand sit-ups and push-ups every day. So lifting weights, it's not it's it's a little overrated, believe me. I still do it and I have no idea why I do it. But when Brian Scalabrini tells you you're good enough for the NBA, was that good enough for you? Where you were like, you know what, I don't have to pursue this anymore. This guy's an NBA player. He's telling me I'm good enough. Let me just go out and get my money and be the best player I possibly can be. That was always my goal to make it the NBA. So I think that's always um going to stick with me but in the same time my motto has been always you know uh shoot for the moon and you're gonna land among the stars I think it's one of my favorite quotes of all time and that was kind of it I'm okay with it and I'm okay you know growing up and tell my kids that I failed and it's no problem in failing in life um so no for me that didn't do anything I think just wearing an NBA jersey uh with my name on it for one one day at least in my career I think, yes, that would just be like, right, that was my goal and I made it. And I always feel different about it. Uh, but at the same time, I don't regret it because, like I said, <laughs> I own up to it. So maybe I should have lifted weights earlier. Maybe I should have been more involved in my athletic side, not just getting, you know, 1,500 shots up. So <laughs> it just depends how, how, how you see it. And uh, I think once you develop, you, you understand that there were some mistakes that you made in your development. Well, I see it as a positive. I mean, like you've been playing what ten years overseas. You're good, man. You you did it. There's so many people. Oh, oh for sure. No, no, yeah. I'm I'm thankful and blessed for it. And even through my injuries, now it's my fourth year in a row that I have some kind of season-ending type injury, and I'm still battling. You know, I'm, I have one more year in contract next year, and I'm, you know, I plan on playing the whole year, and I hope we're gonna win a championship too. And it builds resilience. It, it, it's a lot of things that's it's been good for that I'm appreciative of. Uh, There's no doubt about it. So back in 2014, you were the first Romanian player in over a decade to play in EuroLeague. What kind of like, what does that do for your confidence? Like you, there's not a lot of you guys that have played over there up until that time, but you're like the second in over a decade where you just like, yeah, you know what? I made it. I'm the man. 
No, I just saw it as as getting closer to my goals. I saw it as I'm getting better. Um, and I was happy. I feel like that's also when I start taking a more uh, deliberate approach to to creating a path and making the Romanians believe that they can achieve those goals too. Uh, because for the longest time, I just feel like we haven't had um, a path creator, role model, whatever you want to call it. So I just feel like I took that a little more serious. And even now, I talk to the younger guys more and just try to support them uh, whichever way I can. Um, but it doesn't mean like my story is going to be their story. It doesn't mean that the good things that I made, they're going to make them or the mistakes that I made, it's, you know, they should avoid because, you know, my mistake maybe would be good for some of them, you know, not being the way or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, to, to me, it was just, that was the most important part um, of it as far as, me as a Romanian making it, not me as an individual making it. Okay, I got you. That makes sense. I thought that was really unique, though. When I, I was reading that, I'm like, man, this dude is really – he's a really good basketball player. I mean, to be the second in over a decade to play at the highest level in Europe, that's that's incredible. And I would wear that with a badge of honor. You know, that would probably almost trump any award that I was given. And you, have a pl- you have plenty of them. Like, uh, you know, you've been player of the year. You've won a lot of team accomplishments as well. You've been named, I think, all NBA, not all NBA, but all first team over where you've been playing. Like, you have a lot of accomplishments. It's it's incredible. You're a very well-decorated basketball player. Appreciate I should say it. that. I appreciate like, it. Yeah, I mean yeah. – and you were talking about Luka Doncic coming from a basketball family. I know you come from a basketball family because your mom was a pretty good basketball player from what I've read. So let me ask you, in your guys' prime, who wins one-on-one, you or your mom? Uh, it's funny because I'm a lot like my aunt. Um, she was a very talented offensive player. She was a shooter. Uh, my mom was really a defensive player, uh, tough, can rebound, Um I was like to, to make a comparison for you guys, you're comparing, you know, an offensive player to like a Ben Wallace type thing. So like me and my mom have completely different games. Like you wouldn't, uh, you know, you just, I'm a lot more on my own on that side, but uh, I don't know. I'm a firm believer that offense wins. I'm, I'm a guy that you're, you're going to want to watch the teams that I coach. I tell you that. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe it. But I mean, if she's like a lockdown defender, like Ben Wallace, I might have to defense wins championships. My friend, I might have to give it to your mom. Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> Call KD. See who can yeah. stop him. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, it's true, but man, Bucks advance. Really one-on-one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I think it's just, it's just one of those things that it's, it's, it's like the NBA and the way the basketball evolved back to the conversation is, you it's 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 an it's all about offense gotcha. no matter what you do on defense to me the best you can do to stop a guy like james harden Doncic, uh ad uh booker tatum you know all these guys you know kd of course you can't hope you know you can stay in front of them and hope but it's not like you're affecting anything other than they might have a bad day like that's what you're hoping for really um, and I think that's what, how basketball evolved, that it's all about offense. It's all about offensive talent at the end of the day. I just feel like the defense wins championship uh, thing is – it's a 90s, 2000s thing. I feel like now it's, it's hard. It's like offense wins championship. Like you're not going to show me a defensive team because that's what the Jazz were, right? And yeah. there's one superstar defensive juggernaut, not going to happen. And just look at um, 
even the, the 76ers, right, one of the best defenses in the league right now, they're struggling with Trey Young, right? Which And Atlanta, Atlanta is a very offensive-oriented team. And if you would have made me think about that series, like, and I, I called it as soon as Nate McMillan took the job and he kind of just, um, you can see how they're playing offensively. I was like, oh, that's, that's trouble because, you know, it's, it, they're special. And it's hard because it's hard when you got to guard four or five guys and, you know, defensive championships, yes, it used to because guys were not able to score. And what I mean is your role players back in the 90s, uh, early 2000s, um, you know, it was rare. Like, think about Robert Horry, how important he was for those teams. Think about Rashid Wallace, how important it was for, like, our Pistons teams. They were great, but they were not amazing scorers. Like right now, Joe Harris and Nets, you leave him wide open, he'll drop 30 on you. Like Yeah, it's true. So it's very rare that like the role players in the 90s, 80s were that good at what they do, you know? Like now it's really like they're a star in their roles, and that's why they get paid. Like some guys get paid 20 million because like Duncan Robinson gonna get paid next year 15 million, probably 60 million, because he does one thing well. And that complements a guy like KD. That's unstoppable one-on-one. So I think that's where the whole defense wins championship versus offense wins championship. To me, it's it's because the role players are have developed into scorers and good at what they do. You know, like it's tough to compare to compare eras. Yeah, that's true. It is. I just noticed that the D is actually silent in your name. So. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no defense yeah. there. No D. <laughs> Very silent. I'm just blah, kidding. Blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> no, uh, so what is like the biggest basketball lesson your family taught you, whether it's your mom or your aunt, what's the biggest lesson they taught you in, in basketball? My biggest lesson. Uh, it's tough to say because my, my biggest lesson that came from basketball and it's into life. It's just never give up. Um, never give up and it came from really it's the best lesson that I ever got was my injuries and really I know like my mom gave me a lot of lessons uh good lessons you know as far as uh you know just working my butt off for everything I get um for everything really everything you you work for you're gonna get it back right so you you put in the work you're gonna get it back uh, but as far as like really life lesson and everything, really, I feel like my injuries have been my biggest nightmare, my biggest uh, curse, but at the same time, my biggest blessing uh, because they opened my horizon. They, they taught me how to come back every single time and, um, you know, just never give up on what you really want to do because you're going to be able to do it again. Uh, so whether it was my first knee injury when I had surgery and they, the doctor told me that I was like less than an inch away from not being able to run in my whole life again. Uh, he was like, yeah, if you'd have played in this injury, because I played on it for about two months. So like after that, like, yeah, if you'd have played two more weeks, you'd have been like not running the rest of your life. Like no chance that you're running, like even jogging down the street. So uh, it, it, it taught me, it, it taught me that, all right, how, how can you be resilient? And I think that's the, that's the biggest lesson that we get from sports is that if you learn from them, you get an opportunity to kind of bounce back and bounce back better, even in life uh, scenarios. And you and Bryce both played through 
he like what tore his ACL three times. Uh, he, he got a little, uh, Bray, yeah, Bray, yeah. Bray's got a little more than me. So. Yeah. But both of you guys, like, I guess that's the American way is just you know the American universal way. Play through the injuries, no matter what. <laughs> Biggest life lesson right there. No, that, that, that's what we're showing our age right now because that's that's again there's like nineties two thousands. Yeah. So now it's like load management. Yeah. <laughs> So let me ask you, though, like if you could play a game of basketball with four other players, you're in the lineup. Who, what four players oh, man, are you come on. to play? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael Jordan. He's not, yeah, yeah, Michael and LeBron, those seems to be two common ones. But who else? Yep. Well, the problem is that I should just pick up four passes like a shooter ball, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, those two, Shaq. Three. Oh, now it's hard. Now it's. Uh, I'm honestly. I'm thinking Kobe. Um, so that would be. I don't know. I'll have to play defense and rebound. I guess. Just, but yeah, I was gonna say, be, when are you gonna shoot with that lineup? <laughs> never. You just, just stay in the corner, wait, just clap when they make it. It's all good. Go back, run the defense. Uh, oh, man. No, but I just think that. Um, yeah, it would be a great opportunity for me to learn and just watch them live in a team setting, competitive setting, um, leadership, right? Like the clash of the leadership that I'm thinking right now, as soon as I name those four guys, it's how would that locker room look like, right? You're thinking about we're down a halftime at five. You have Michael coming in, Kobe coming in, LeBron, who I feel is it's a very different positive leader. And I would just be like, Michael and Kobe are just battling negative stuff at you, you know, just how competitive they are. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun to learn. That'll be fun to play with. Yeah, just different uh, from that aspect. From uh, from probably the the shooting aspect, I wouldn't get much out of it. But <laughs> I mean, you get a lot of conditioning. That's for sure. <laughs> that's it, right? Changing <laughs> yeah. rebounds. Uh, yeah. So if you were when you're about to like leave the European game and you're just going to call the game quits, but if the NBA called for one year, would you take it? Even if you were set on retiring and being done, would you play one more year in the NBA if they called? Absolutely, I'll play one more day. Yeah. Uh, it would it wouldn't matter. Absolutely, it's um, yeah, it would just be minor. It would kind of be uh, a, a full circle thing. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. What do you think – why do you think so many former NBA players end up going overseas? Not just because of the money, but, like, what is the mentality that you've learned from some of these guys that have played in the NBA, had a taste for it, but then find themselves overseas? Like, what are some lessons that maybe you've learned from them where you're like – Well, I have one of my teammates last year, and um, Malcolm Lee. He was drafted by the Timberwolves. I saw him in a workout UCLA from UCLA in, uh, with the Wizards in 2011. We had, we had the same workout. And he's battling through, I think, four surgeries. And he's, you know, he's played in the league for three, four years. I'm sure financially he's doing okay. And he's still playing overseas right now, right? 30-plus years. And I think he's just the love for the game. I think that's why really guys make it too. I think the, the quote-unquote bust in the NBA, I think, is because their purpose, their, their driving force as far as playing basketball, was financial. I think the all-time greats, um, the really, really special talents, they're driven by passion, by uh, goals, but they're not financial. They're really, I just want to be 
an all-time great. I want to be, you know, it's just all these guys, even like role players like Duncan Robinson. I'm sure they don't do it for the money. At the end of the day, they just do it for the love of the game. And that's why you see all these guys going overseas. Very rarely the guys that get overseas at like 30 plus or something, they just do it for solely the money. I think it's more like, I just want to keep playing pro. But do you think some guys find them, like there are guys that are quality basketball players. They could fit in the NBA, but the reason they, like like a Jimmer Fredette, for example, like I've always heard that who could play in the NBA. He could score in the NBA, but it was like an attitude, not, like an unwillingness to accept a lesser role because he got stuck in the mentality of being the star. Do you think like, guys like him, like they find themselves overseas because they're unwilling to adapt their game and play more of a team kind of role, I guess, in the NBA. That and also the financial part of it, I think. Some guys make more money in, uh, overseas than they hear, you know, where they would uh, – because, again, you're getting two, three, four million in China or in Europe. Uh, you know, why come here for one and a half? And that gets taxed half of it. So, yeah. you know, uh, when you have a chance to make a lot more. But a good opportunity to look at is Mike James, right? I think he's shown that he can play with the best in Europe. He's one of the best scorers in Europe. He comes here and he played very well for Brooklyn this, this past few months when he got – he actually got suspended from Tesco in Moscow. Uh, they didn't cut him. He's on the contract for next year too. He's uh, So they, he got suspended and they just let him play in the NBA. Look at that, right? Yeah. And uh, um, I think a lot of those uh, top European players – like Americans that play in Europe, they can play in the NBA. I think it's just a matter of uh, the financial side of things, you know, uh, like um, Brad Wanamaker. I've known Brad since uh, I was a sophomore in high school. He was at Roman Catholic and we played him every single year, twice a year, actually. And uh, uh, he was my teammate at the All-Star game, the college All-Star game. Um, and I played against him and he started from the bottom in Italy, uh, second league, I believe. Played all his way up to like the, the top of the top, right? Fenerbahce is the ball. Uh, I think it was two plus, two plus three million dollar contract. And they gave a shot at the NBA. And right now he's still in the NBA, but he would make two or three times more money in Europe. I can guarantee you that. So I think for him, for example, the, the force that's driving him is his passion. It's his want to play in the NBA. For others, it might not be. So I, and I think that's okay. But at the same time, I do think that the all-time greats have that in them. Is that passion, that purpose to to really just leave the legacy behind? Yeah, it's like there's a desire to be kind of like immortal in a way. Like if you're great at a sport, the cool thing is they're going to be talking about you for as long as you know your statue or your plaque yeah. is in the Hall of Fame. You know whatever you did, like that is set in and the history of people. So exactly, they care they care more about that and the financial part. Just look at Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, just I think Tom Brady is, is one of those examples that's like, man, the guy's a winner. Uh, but in order to be a winner, I feel like that part goes underappreciated a lot. He's taking less and less money almost every single year for the past, what, 10 years, something like that. Because he understands, you know, like he understands that he, he, his role is, is lesser and lesser by the year. And it's something that I'm curious to see how LeBron James is going to do, you know, stuff like that. How Because it, it's been different, right? He's, he's always t- taking the max contract. And at some point, he's going to need more and more help. And, you know, how would that play out this year if he had more help, if they had more help? Whereas when you have two guys that make $200 million over five years, then it's tough to bring other guys in that can really, really help and not just be role players. 
In the Lakers situation, I felt like they should have tried to run it back with the team they won with last year. It just doesn't make sense to have that many, like another Schroeder type, you know, like he needs the ball in his hands. He's unwilling to run with the second unit. I just thought that team just didn't really make a lot of sense to me this past year. I liked the team before that won the championship. Yeah, and I don't know why you would change a championship team, like completely revamp it. I feel like that's like you just won with them. Unless exactly. they're very, very old, like yeah, or like thirty-six. Uh, that's it. Call it quits. They, they all retire, yeah. but no, they're all still playing. So I don't know. Like you trade it, uh, you know, you trade it. You, you don't sign back Dwight Howard. You get Marcus Saul, but that's a very different type player. So like to me, also what was weird was the change in in the players. Like you're not, you know, you get rid of one player, you usually bring the same type of player, right? So like Detroit's trying to build this culture right now with athletic players you know guys that can switch all over the floor they, they're you know six four and above so like the lakers i did last year was like dwight howard ray john rondo right they're like a little more defensive oriented more uh more rim protection with javel mcgee too and then you just do what like you sign marcus so you, you sign guys like that that are more offensively talented so like what are you really like you're changing your culture that you won with if you didn't win i understand but you, you just won with that team so why not try to push and kind of just, you know, you bring Schroeder in who's more offensive than Rondo and that's fine. But I don't know that for that team was, was exactly what they needed. Yeah. And there's something to be said about like when guys know their roles and are happy and content within their roles. Like, you know, you had Quinn cook, he was just happy to be on the team, you know, yeah. like there's, there's value in a guy like that. That's just willing to accept whatever the coach gives him because he knows that there is a, there's a greater end result, you know, he's going to be a part of it, whether it's large or small, he's a part of it. So. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. I'm, we're going to get ready to end this, but I do want to ask you after basketball, what do you have going on? Like, what are you working towards? What is life after basketball for Vlad? Well, other than Motor City Hoops and trying to be a, hopefully one day be an ESPN analyst or something. <laughs> Yeah, but you have, like, I, I know, like, you can go to your website. It is yourname.com, and you have a lot of other things that are going on. Like, you have Hoop Drills, I believe is what it's called, right, the training facility that you do. And then you have a basketball academy as well, which is, like, teaching young basketball players, like, you know, life goals or, you know, coaching for life and everything. Like, I didn't read too much about it, but I read a little bit. But. Yeah, so the Academy of Romania is, is this definitely a special project of mine, right, where we're actually – um, starting uh, the 28th, it's our first event ever. Um, we're going to run two events this summer, and then hopefully we're going to keep on building on that, um, where we do a lot of mentoring, uh, where we do a lot of uh, basketball training. Uh, I bring coaches from uh, outside of Romania usually. Um, so it's, it's been pretty cool. I do have a clothing line in Romania um, that I started about last year. Uh, yes, uh, hoop drills. Uh, I'm more like a, an investor at this point. Uh, I truly believe my trainer, uh, Marius Williams, I think does a great job. So um, that's that's a great platform. And we do have Train by Hoop Drills, which I feel like that's that's really my baby. It's it's going to be online online basketball platform where you're going to find basketball workouts from you know hundreds of coaches worldwide. Um, yeah, so like Train is really going to be a special special thing. I think um, my idea behind Train is to have kids that can't afford training, you know? So like, you're gonna come train at some point and you're gonna have so many workouts by professional coaches, either skills development in the US or youth coaches at the academies from like Spanish teams or 
uh, we have a coach from Croatia at a pro level, a coach from Serbia at a pro level. They are like recording for us. And you're going to have this chance to watch this workouts and try to do them yourself. And for what, like a, a, a small fee a month compared to getting a trainer where it's, you know, it can be a hundred dollars per, per hour. So I feel like that's, that, that's my way of actually trying to help kids that don't can't afford, uh, you know, training per se to have access to premium training workouts. And that is just a matter of them watching them and then doing them, you know? So I feel like that's, uh, that's always been some cool, uh, that I really wanted to do because I had a lot of, a lot of kids ask me, especially overseas, like, how can I become a pro? How can I work on my game? Because I feel like skill development, uh, it's really a U.S. thing as far as that goes. You know, usually we have team practices and that's, that's the main focus. I got you. I got you. So the motivation is basically, I want to give back to the game of basketball because it gave me so much. Exactly. And most, and most of my, my, my projects so far, yeah, that's it. And, uh, it's the same thing with uh, with everything I do so far. It's that passion that I told you about. It's, it's, I'm a very uh, passion-driven person. Like, if I have a passion for something, I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to find a way. Uh, whereas if I just don't have a passion for, for that, it's, it's hard to get me going. <laughs> I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Well, we're going to end this. Vlad, where can they find you on social media? Oh, Vladimir Levano 9. That's it. Everywhere. Good luck trying to find that. <laughs> you can find the show notes. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you find me, Vlamo Levano 9, uh, just about everywhere, all my social media accounts. Um, you know, they can find it, uh, Bryce and I and Morris City Hoops, if they're, they're, they're basketball fans. Uh, we got that going on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, so especially if they're Detroit Pistons fans. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we got that going. And um, that's about it. I'm, I'm pretty active on my social, too. So if you got any questions for me, I, I usually answer. I don't have a manager or anything, so I'll be the one answering. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He, like, Vlad will actually comment on some of my random Twitter posts from time to time. He <laughs> called me out for one of them where it was, it was definitely Marcus Morris and not Paul George. And I still oh, I think, Chloe, I was like, hey, that's, that's not. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it was a friendly way of saying, like, bro, you got that wrong. So it was not. <laughs> but anyways, thanks for listening to the podcast. I enjoyed having Vlad on. This is Everything Hoops Podcast. You can listen to us on Google, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, a rating. More importantly, tell a Hoops fan. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.